0: You are listening to audio from the Creek Church. If you would like more information about the Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. How are we doing? Hey, happy birthday, America! Let me just say this to everyone: be safe, be smart. Okay, okay. Let's let's finish the week with 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 all, thing, all, all digits intact, okay? Um, all the PSAs about fireworks and everything going on and, and uh, just be smart, be responsible so, uh, um, and enjoy, enjoy celebrating our independence and our freedom and uh, so thank you for, for that and uh, welcome back to our series, What's the Point? And this, this weekend, uh, we're getting back to the why of salvation. What's the point of salvation? It, salvation is the central thing that even makes us a Christian, and it's so easy. It, it, how we can just kind of think about other things around salvation. We build other modes of salvation. We add things to salvation. I mean, just just during just during worship, I was just praying just like David prayed I and mean, restored that joy of salvation. You know, there's a joy when you realize that you have been set free, that you've been redeemed, that you've been forgiven. And uh, I want to kind of look at the, at the point of salvation because a lot of times people think, "Well, what's what's the point of being a Christian?" I mean, I go to church, I'm a good person or you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to kind of kind of help break down a lot of that stuff, okay? Because if we start thinking it's our goodness or we start thinking church attendance does it or we start thinking behavior does it or anything other than Jesus does it, here's the reality. We have missed the point. And everything about church, everything about faith, everything about Christianity, the point is Jesus. If we miss Jesus, we miss it all. I, it, that, that, I mean, we can get a lot of things wrong, Right? But if we miss Jesus, we miss the whole point. And to understand really that, that need for salvation, to understand the point of salvation, we've got to go back to where, where, where the problem started. You know, when you have the, those relation, relationship issues, you know, and you're like dealing with the here and now, and sometimes you got to go back and deal with what it was. Let's deal with the original oops, you know, and, and let's get that working forward. So let's, let's go back to where it started, okay? So in the beginning, God... Uh, I'm glad you went along with me on that. Because I thought about going a long time ago in a garden far, far away. Uh, But in the beginning, God created everything. He spoke everything into existence. And then we, we, we see in Genesis 2 that, that God made man. He formed him in his own image. He formed him from the dust of the ground. And God breathed his spirit into, into man and created Adam. And, and, and out of that, he set Adam in a garden. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, it says that God took Adam and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. So a lot of us think sin created work. No, there was work before sin came in. Here's the You're going to see in a minute the whole issue with work and sin, though. But... God created it and set him in this garden. It was beautiful. He had dominion over things, but God also set some parameters. He said, here is this tree. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You should not eat it. You shall not eat it, for if you do, when you do, you will surely die. So God established man in his image. God breathed his spirit into it. Adam enjoyed walking with God in the cool of the day. He enjoyed absolute perfection in the relationship. There was no hindrance in the relationship brokenness didn't exist at this point sin didn't exist death didn't exist it was all God's created order and he set some parameters around that and then he creates he creates Eve out of Adam which which I I find something interesting Um, I'm I'm going through uh, in my personal time I'm going through a chronological Bible and something struck me when, when I was reading the creation account was was God set Adam in the garden and told Adam, don't eat of this, this tree. And then he made Eve. So he had, Adam had a responsibility to lead. So a lot of times, and, and here's where I had to kind of get, I had some correction, you know, because sometimes when I, I teach Adam and Eve and I teach the fall, I like, they like to make a joke about it. I'm just joking when I say it, but I blame Eve, you know, like she did it. Even Adam says, the woman you gave me, she, said, well, she did. But Adam failed in his responsibility to lead his wife. But what you've got is, 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 is now you have Adam and Eve, you have man and woman, you have the parameters, and then Genesis 3 happens, Genesis 3, um, in chapter 3, verse 6 you see uh, the serpent talking to Eve. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The enemy started out by saying, did God really say? He starts distorting the, the relationship with God starts distorting the parameters. That, that is still in play today. And what you have in that moment is you have, you have death entering in that instant in humanity, in creation. And you have a broken relationship with God. I mean, as it goes on, um, God comes in to visit Adam and Eve and they hide from them because they realize they're naked. They used to be naked and felt no shame. And then after COVID-19, they look in the mirror and they got all kinds of shame. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but they, they felt no shame. And, and now they, they're, they're, they're naked and afraid. They ought to do a show about that. I'm just saying. But, um, and they're, they're hiding from God. And, and, and so now what's happened is the relationship with God is severed, it's broken, and there's a result of that. There's, there's, a, there's a consequence to that death and to that brokenness, and this is what God declared in Genesis chapter three. He said to the woman, now he, he put a curse on the enemy, but to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your cha- pain and childbearing. Sorry, Abby. I'm um, in one week from tomorrow is her due date, and I, I shouldn't be preaching this right now, but... But uh, you got an epidural coming, I'm sure. But um, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. He's he's making it clear to her, right? It's going to be painful. Uh, And uh, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's a brokenness in the relationship between the husband and wife. So listen, I've raised two daughters with Heather. Um, She did most of the work. But, but you know, she did the pain of childbirth, but it's painful to raise your kids. And then, and then you have this enmity happening between husband and wife, that the relationship becomes a struggle. It's not everything is just fine. There is no happily ever after. And then to the man, he said to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of all eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and the dust you will return. So, so work was redeeming, work was fulfilling, work was, was, was perfect when God established it, but sin, the fall, the result of the fall is, is that now there's this, there's a struggle in it. There's a strife. So what you see is just everything broken, right? Because you, you see that the relationship between people is broken. There's enmity, there's strife, there, there's, there's, There's there's lording it over. There's there's all types of power and control issues that continue to play out in humanity. Then you got work, and it's just this toil. It's just this labor. And listen, there are days I love my job, and there are days I hate my job. I mean, there there are times I'm ready, like I'm gonna sign on for another 25 years, and then some nights and some days I'm like, I want to quit now. I mean, I just, it's just hard. And, and there's a struggle in this. And, and God is saying, that's gonna be the struggle. That is the result. But what I love about God is he, he's, he's sovereign, right? And by God's being sovereign, he knows everything. He knows all things. He is fully in control. Even in this when, when he's getting on to Adam and Eve and he's declaring the, the results of the, the, the fall, the sin that they, they committed, and the brokenness in the relationship, even then God is foreshadowing his plan of redemption. Verse 21 says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So you, you got to read between the lines in this. God, for him to take the skin from an animal, there had to be death. And God had established it in his, his perfect order that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And immediately God is starting the process of making atonement. And even Jesus, who existed in the fullness of God from, the, from, the time, if, from when time began, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, that's Jesus. Jesus is foreshadowed even in Genesis 3.21, that, that even in that moment and in Revelation we see that Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So Jesus knew, this, that God knew this plan of salvation. He didn't say we're going to create humanity. And, and if they screw it up, then we'll have to figure out a way to fix it. God knew he's sovereign. He says, we're going to do this. We're going to create man in our image. There is an enemy that has been cast down because of his sin, because of his pride, and he's going to come after humanity. And when he comes after humanity, we have a plan to redeem them. And I love that. That's, that's the loving nature of God. You know, we, we, the enemy will distort us and he will say, did God really say? Or uh, we'll hear this, would, would a really a loving God send people to hell? Maybe we need to look at what the, the word of God teaches because we got the enemy distorting it in our ears. Did God really say that? But listen, what God is showing us, what he's saying in his word is that I knew there was going to be problems and I've already made a provision for you. I mean, that instead of us going, I can't believe a loving God would do that, we should say, what a loving God who would extend mercy and grace to us. And so you have death entered. But one day, see, that's the beauty. God lets us see the end of the book. Because one day, death will die. And in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the death of death. When we, when we see this, it's verse 14 and 15. I would encourage you to read this whole chapter this week. But it says, then death and hate, these are death and hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So there's that moment where God deals with death. And anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, you'll also see this in other areas of scripture called the Lamb's book of life. That's that salvation, those who are recorded of salvation. So what you have is where we live right now. We live in the middle. We're born into death. We're born into brokenness. We're born into this system. We're born into the painful relationships. We're born into the toil and labor and sweat of our brow for work. And we're born into this, the tension of existence. We're born with a need for redemption. We're born with a need for a savior. And that puts us in the middle. And, and and what is beautiful about it is even in the middle, God's provided an answer. It's called salvation. And it kind of really kind of unpacked salvation. I want to I go to John chapter 3 because Jesus has a, a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. He, he was a teacher of the law. He was, he was in the religious party. But but you'll see that Nicodemus, I mean, when you read through the Scripture, the Gospels, uh, you will see that Nicodemus had 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 a, a connection with Jesus, that Jesus had made a profound impact on him to the point where, where many scholars believe that he was counted as a Christian because of things he was doing and even helping in, in Jesus' ministry. But he comes to Jesus by night and he comes in and he wants to ask him some questions. And I love that in John chapter three, this is the, the interchange, but even before you get to John chapter three, you gotta back up because we gotta get context. The very, first, the very last passage of John chapter two talks about Jesus knowing the heart of man. Jesus knows what's in our heart he knows the heart of man and so Nick comes up to him we'll call him Nick Um, so Nick comes up to him at night and, and he's a ruler and he comes to Jesus by night and he said to him he said rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him so so he's making his introduction but I love that Jesus knows and perceives the heart of man and Jesus doesn't waste time on the niceties he goes right for it. He goes exactly to what is on the heart of Nicodemus. I mean, think about it. Nicodemus is like, we know you're a teacher come from God. We, we, we've been teaching this law. And it just, the law is not bringing us the fulfillment. It's not bringing us the freedom. It's not bringing us this life this, that we don't, we don't feel reconciled. And when we, when we feel reconciled through the law, it's really a, a self-righteousness that we're producing because the law doesn't get us to righteousness. And, and he had known the prophecies that the Messiah was coming and the Messiah would be the one to, to redeem us and reconcile us. You had to have the Messiah come before there could be a death to death. And so Jesus goes right to the heart. He goes, truly, I say to you, That unless you are born again, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is is going, he's going to the heart of it. He said, you want to know about salvation, Nick. You want to know. I mean, you've been trying. And and yes, I'm a teacher come from God, but I am the one that you need to listen to. And, and, And Nicodemus responds in kind of an earthly way, kind of how we would frame this. Like, how can I be reborn again? But Jesus goes right to it. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what he's saying is, is look, the flesh that, that, that gives birth to flesh, that's what's born into the brokenness. Our flesh is what, what, what suffers the effects of the fall. And, and in that, our flesh has this disconnected relationships with other people because that's what we're born into. And it, what he's saying is that there, there needs to be another birth that happens because when you start breaking down, like, what is salvation? Salvation is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a regulation. It's a relationship. See, you are born into a relationship. When my kids were born and I held them, they're, they're mine, You know, these grandbabies that I have, when they're born and I get to hold them, they're my grandkids. They are my family. They're in relation to my family. They have all the rights and privileges and, and all the sugar that they want in my family. That's the benefit of being a granddad now because I can dole out the sugar and send them on home. It's awesome. Well, I can do that with, with the one coming. We, our Canada kids are getting to come and visit us finally, and so we're excited that we kind we of got, 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 got them coming out of Canada to come and see us, and I'm just so excited. And we've been working and everything like that and getting the house ready and baby-proofing stuff. And, and yeah, I still was able to get in after Heather baby-proofed it. But um, anyway, but he's saying... <laughs> Some of you, yeah, see. Some are like, "Well, can I go to Home Depot and get some husband proofing?" Um, so, but what he's saying is that we're born into this. Listen to what he says. It, I mean, famous verse, verse of the Bible, right? John three sixteen. But let's, let's. This is the context that it's happening in. It's relationship. For God so loved the world, for God so loves. for God has a relationship with the world, with his creation, that he longs to see them connected, that he gave Jesus, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus, his only son, whom he loves and who he gave should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God's not sending Jesus to tell us how how broken we are and how awful we are. You know, it's not the enemy saying, well, if God was so loving, see, we'll take, we'll let the devil sit on our shoulder and tell us who he thinks God is and who we think he he wants us to think God is. And we got to go back to the word. Because the word's gonna trumpet. The word's gonna tell us who God is. And when we start understanding the identity of God, that this relationship, that changes everything. Because condemnation is the death. Jesus came to bring us life. So what is salvation? It's a relationship. How are we saved? Simple answer. It's belief in Jesus. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll probably be saved. No, he said you will be saved. He didn't say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and do all of these things, you'll be saved. It's it's belief in Jesus. And what is that belief? It's by faith. It's the faith he gives us. and confession, when we confess that he is Lord, it's just agreement. Confession means agreement. It means I'm agreeing, Jesus, that you are Lord. You are who you say you are. You are in your rightful place. And a lot of times <clears throat> we think this um, how are we saved comes by what we do. Well, I told you, if it's anything other than Jesus, we missed the point. But we'll hear this 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 statement I'm a good person. I mean, I don't do anything like that. I don't, I'm a good person. So I, I, I think I'm just gonna get in. Listen, if, 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 if you're so good, then why did Jesus have to die? If salvation was based on our merit, our work, or, or us being that good, then then it, this, this would say, for God so loved people that he was pleased with their goodness and he gave him eternal life. No, this is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So it's, it's grace, not our merits. Okay, if anyone tells you that it is anything other than that, run from them. Because in Ephesians 2, it just it lays it out once and for all. You By grace, you have been saved through faith. And whose doing is it? Not yours. Your goodness doesn't open grace. Listen, what I think it does when we try to lay our goodness before God, you know what I think it opens up God's pity. I think God's like, man, I, I I feel so sorry for you that you think that you can be good enough. And the only way, the only name under heaven by which we can be saved is Jesus. <clears throat> what are we saved from? It's death. It's the death penalty that our sin deserves. I mean, when we get really honest, that's what it, that's what that's we're being saved from. We're being saved from being those who are swallowed up when God puts death to death. But then why are we saved? Why? Why? This is beautiful. Scripture is so beautiful in how opens up why we're saved. And for me to best articulate that answer would be to, (coughs) I believe, take you through the vision of the church. Because I believe God saves us so that you and I can be set in a relationship with him. Because at the beginning when the fall happened, the relationship was severed, it was broken. And what, what, what God is doing by sending Jesus to die for us and he takes on the penalty of our sin when he takes it on his shoulders and his alone, not our goodness, and he pays the penalty, he gives the death penalty for us. And what happens is in that moment When we confess Jesus as Lord and we're saved, then you and I become reconciled in our relationship to God. That by the blood of Jesus, you and I are looked at as the righteousness of God. That God doesn't look at us and go, well, you're just a sinner. God looks at us and says, that's my child. That relationship has been reconciled. If you've ever had a relationship that's broken and severed, and then all of a sudden you you, you make up and there's that forgiveness And then the reconciliation, then what happens is is you realize that that there's there's full restoration. And that when we we think about this, we have to ask for reconciliation. And and, I mean, even in our human relationships, which are broken as a result of the fall, then you look at this relationship with Jesus, we have to ask for reconciliation. Because some people go, well, why? Why doesn't God just give it to me? Because he wants a relationship with you. He's not just wanting to will you something. He's wanting to live life with you. He's wanting to do something in your life, through your life. So what we have to do is we've got to recognize. We have to recognize our need for reconciliation, recognize our need for Jesus. Then we repent. And that just simply means we realize the direction we're going towards death We recognize that's not where I need to be going, and we make a decision to move towards Jesus and follow him, pursue him, and then the reconciliation happens. See, we we, we want the reconciliation without recognizing we got issues, and we want the reconciliation without having to change anything in our life. But for there to be reconciliation, it means, means two parties have to extend out for reconciliation to happen, right? Well, God extended out by giving his son, Jesus. And he's saying, I'm asking you to, to extend out and come into this relationship. And what this relationship does <clears throat> is it sets us in a relationship with Christ as redeemed, as forgiven and saved. And then it sets us in a relationship with other people. Because, see, if, if the point of salvation was just to get us out of hell then the moment we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he'd take us to heaven, right? But he's wanting to show us. He's wanting to teach us. He's wanting us to grow in this. And one of the ways that I believe my relationship with Jesus gets real tangible is in the church, is in a connected relationship with family called the church. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it can be dysfunctional. And I'll be the first to tell you, as a pastor, I drop the ball. I mean, I make mistakes too. And there are times that I don't, I, don't, I don't call when I should call and I don't show up when I should show up and I don't do the things expected of me to be done <clears throat> and I will disappoint. But what I find is the tangible grace of Jesus so beautiful when the people of the redeemed, I mean, go back two three, or three weeks ago, what's the point of church? We're set in a relationship to be in this environment where God can continue to do some things and make us family because what we've been given is called the spirit of adoption, that we get to call God Father, Daddy, Abba. And that means that we're in relationship with each other. And what I believe about the relationship of the church and every relationship with another Christ follower, another person who's saved, is this, to help us in our sanctification. I mean, God, God gave me a beautiful wife, a wonderful wife, not just for me to lord it over her, well, she, if you know her, that ain't happening. But God gave her for my sanctification. And God gave her me for her sanctification. God gave us each other. And sanctification is the big church word for maturity. God gave us each other to grow up in Christ. That's why he sets us in family. So we can enjoy this, this connected relationship. Then, <clears throat> then he sets us free. You see, a lot of times we think salvation is a finish line, but it's really a starting point for this new journey in life. Because my past has been fully forgiven, but I got a lot of stuff in my past that I'm still dealing with. And go back to, um, go back to Egypt, go back to Exodus, right? And think about this: that you know, you have by the hand of God. God establishes this promise to Abraham that through you, all your descendants will be a great, out of you, I'll make a great nation and all families of earth will be blessed because of you. And then you start moving through the generations and you get down to get down to Joseph. By God's amazing grace and his promises and his sovereignty, you have the nation of Israel ending up in Egypt for cover and for help. But after 400 years, they're now enslaved and they're in bondage, Right? And then God sends Moses to get my, let my people go, right? So Moses leads the people out of Egypt. But when you start reading, like read Exodus, and even you get into Leviticus, what's happening here is, is God got the people out of Egypt, and now he's got to get Egypt out of the people. Listen, God, when he saved me, he got me out of death. Now what he's doing with freedom is getting death out of me. Because I have a tendency to go back to those things. There was, um, I believe it's in Numbers, when it's talking about the people that were traveling with the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. And it said that they were the rabble, which means they weren't the nation of Israel. They were kind of clinging on, like, where are we going? I don't know. Well, I'm going with you. You know, it's kind of like, you know, just following the crowd at child time, right? (coughs) So what what happens is (coughs) you've got people going, you're leaving Egypt? I'm going too. So they're on a ride. But then all of a sudden, they start grumbling because they're not, they don't see the promise. They don't get the promise. And so what happens is they start complaining, and they go, oh, man, you know what I miss about Egypt? I miss the fish. I miss the taste of the food. And it's amazing how even as Christ followers, we can have people walking along with us that aren't walking in the promise that are saying, you know what I miss about the old life? You used to be so different. You know, we used to, we used to the things we used to do. God wants to set us free from that, so we can we get out of Egypt and get Egypt out of us. God frees us from our past and He gets our past out of us. God saves us from death and gets death out of us. That's freedom. And, and when we, when I gave my life to Jesus, look, it didn't mean all my problems went away. It meant now I can fight from them. I can fight from a place of victory instead of of defeat. And so this, this idea and concept of freedom and salvation is a powerful one. Because when you start looking, like Nicodemus came to Jesus going, look, the rules aren't freeing me. I mean, forget about the nation. Forget about all the Pharisees. Nicodemus, his heart is drawn to Jesus. He said, all the stuff that I'm trying to do isn't getting me there. And Jesus wants to bring freedom. Listen, some of us need freedom from legalism. Some of us need freedom from people telling us that salvation is Jesus plus anything else. Some of us need some freedom from ourselves because we might be abusing that very freedom. So you see where, where salvation has to do a work in us. To continue to lead us in freedom in Christ, not in us. So we're set free. And then he sets us in motion. The reason he doesn't save the people and just lift them off the earth is because he's given us a purpose. He's given us work. And God established work before the fall. But he's calling his church, his redeemed, the people he saves, these Christians, the church, to work. And yep, still, you know what? The church work, the work in the church, it's still is laborious sometimes. It's still sweat of the brow. There's a lot of thorns. There's a lot of thistles. There's a lot of tough stuff. Those of you who are serving in ministry, you understand what I'm talking about. And I know this isn't the real billboard speech to get people to go, hey, serve, serve Jesus in the church. Because <clears throat> it's a mess. It can be messy and it can be tough. And there will be nights you're like, why do I do this? I'm pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, and I feel like I'm just, I'm just, I'm just dump, dumping stuff in the toilet. And just whoosh, 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 whoosh. But then all of a sudden, man, the light comes on for somebody. And they recognize that need for Jesus. They repent, and you get to see the joy of that reconciliation. See, God's called us into motion Because he wants to use us. From the very beginning, God's plan was Jesus as the salvation for the world. And from the very beginning, listen to me, listen to me. From the very beginning, you were part of that plan to take salvation to the world. See, James said, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. He's not saying we work for salvation. He's saying we work from it. Because those who are saved, we have this incredible purpose to see other people saved from death. I mean, the the urgency. I mean, how how urgent would your prayer be for people you know are not saved? How urgent would your prayer be to know that, that their life is in danger? that their name is not written in that book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And how would that change the urgency of, of, our, of our time with them? How would that change the urgency of our prayer for them? How would that change the urgency of how we serve them? How would that change the urgency of how we go to them? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. We don't know the hour of the day. Only the Father knows. And we work Well, it's daylight. And right now, it's daylight. And listen, my grandfather used to say, you make hay in the day. There's a lot of hay to make. There's a lot of work to do. Because, see, I'm in the middle between death and the death of death, but I have eternal life. It's a free gift that God gave me through his son, Jesus Christ not by my efforts or my, my own goodness, but by his grace and his grace alone. And he's put this purpose in my heart to see people come into that relationship. He's put this purpose in my heart to lead a church that we can be a people that are pointing others to Jesus. Because see, I'm in the middle, but I already know where I'm gonna end up. And there's a lot of people in the middle. And listen, the choices we make in the middle matter. Matter. Because there is no other way, there's no other way to get our name in that book of life than if it's written by Jesus himself, signed in his blood. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my name is written in that and Jesus wrote my name in his blood and I will be with him forevermore. So what, really, when we think about the point of salvation, what is the point of salvation? It's to live a life through Jesus. Listen, that we could never live on our own. Because all I can produce is the brokenness and the hurt and the shame and the sweat and the thorns and the thistles. All I can produce is relational brokenness and perpetuate that. But this life I live is what he bought for me. And he has a purpose for every one of us. Jesus, we we love you and we thank you that you are our salvation. The salvation is a new beginning and it only starts through you, Jesus. And and I'm just asking every one of you in this moment, I mean, whether in this campus or watching at home or You may be watching this years down the road, and I believe this message is for you. I believe that that this is a moment where God is is drawing you, he's speaking to you, and and by faith, he's he's just calling on you to tell him, tell him by faith that you need him. Tell Jesus that you you believe he died and he rose again for you. It doesn't mean that, that you can explain it all but it means you believe it's not your goodness, but you believe that God loves you enough that he did everything to reach out to you. Tell Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, I'm sorry for depending on my, my goodness. And now I receive your grace. Thank you for dying for me and thank you for being raised from the dead so that that I can be saved and I can live in this life this resurrection life that you bought for me that you're you're extending to me that I now receive and I know in this moment that you've set me in a relationship with you you've put a family around me called the church you're setting me free you're taking me through that process of freedom and you've given me a purpose and a plan for my life I thank you for that and I ask you Jesus to lead me to live the life that you gave yours for. In this moment and forevermore, all for your glory. In Jesus's name, the name above all names, the name that is the author of salvation, Jesus Christ, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or if you have any questions you can email us at info@thecreekfw.com. At